Luke chapter 4, we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we talked about his temptation with Satan in the wilderness, 40 days of temptation. And at the end, of course, Satan coming to him and challenge him with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and challenge him in an area where he was famished. He felt like a failure maybe, and, and uh, challenged him in the area that, that uh, he was supposed to continue on for the Lord. But he was a, a, we have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings, can be touched with the feelings of infirmity because all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Aren't you glad he didn't sin? Didn't have that nature, didn't have the ability, but I'm grateful for the example. And he gave us an example about what Satan does and some of his strategies. And Apostle Paul would say later in the New Testament, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. We know kind of how he operates. And we need to be sober, be vigilant. For adversary of the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking and may devour. And we don't have to be afraid of Satan, but we need to recognize his strength. He attacks the weary ones. He attacks the weak ones. He attacks one taking a trip out of, out of, out of the fold and, and wandering away from God. He attacks those who are wounded by uh, the hurts of another Christian or another person or a hurt, something that God allowed to be taken away from us. And oftentimes we use it as an excuse and Satan capitalizes on that, that thing. But nonetheless, Jesus uh, endured the temptation. The Bible says that Satan left him for a season, for a season. It reminds me that his temptations are seasonal. And he, he may hit you real hard now. In a few weeks, it won't be so hard. But he, he is continually strategic and working against his people, uh, God's people, because you can bring glory to God. And the new levels come new devils. And just like a thief, he wouldn't go to a place where there was nothing to steal. And some folks, they don't have anything going on demonically terribly much because they got nothing going on. They don't have the grace of God. They're not in efforts to work with God. And so Satan leaves them alone. But he's going to definitely come against a Christian who is trying to be filled with God's grace and effectiveness and pleasing him. And all of us who are lived godly in Christ Jesus are going to get the attention of satanic activity. And, uh, but I'm glad greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And our, our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil are enemies, but they're no match for the Holy Spirit and a, God, uh, a God-focused person. We find that after Jesus dealt with this temptation, angels ministered to him, God's angels ministered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm glad, I don't know exactly all that means and all that means for you and I today. But I will say this, I think there have been seasons in Christians' lives, and mine own included, where I felt like God sent people and his messengers at the right time, at the right place to bring help and ministry to my life. And I believe that you and I can be instruments of that, but I do think that uh, they, these were spiritual beings that ministered to the Lord Jesus after this 40-day fast. Let's pick up what the Bible says in verse number 14. And Jesus returned to the power of the Spirit and to Galilee. So he left that experience. He got baptized. Then he went into the 40-day wilderness, came back to his hometown of Galilee, and there went out the fame of him throughout all the region round about. So it became quite obvious something's going on with Jesus. The carpenter's boy, Joseph's son, per se. Something's going on, the fame. I'm not sure how many, uh, how many uh, miracles were done, but no doubt some of them were done. I think if you look at the book of Matthew, you'll find that probably the case. 
but through miracles, through preaching, through his own countenance. Probably someone said, what is going on? I'm not sure that he was still working. I don't know that he sawed another two by four or framed another house or hung another board or made another chair or table or fixed anything else. He now went about to do what he came on the earth to do, and that was to pay for our sin. And shortly he would go and find disciples. He had not done that yet, but he was back in his hometown, and, and his fame had now become uh, recognizable. Let's look at verse number 15. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And uh, his teaching was definitely noted that uh, this is not the same kid that grew up in our town. Now it's a, it's a Sabbath day, it's a Saturday, and, and the Jewish people would go to the synagogue. And let's just imagine what was taking place, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, its hometown. And uh, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So he had been there probably since he was young, all of his teenage years, all of his 20s. He had gone. This is nothing new, except he'd been teaching now, and his, and his teaching definitely platformed him in some way, shape, or form. And we find that now he is going back. It's another Sabbath day. But when it was time to read, they stood up to read, and somebody uh, handed him, the expositor handed him uh, the, the Bible. He opened it up to the book of Isaiah. Let's continue reading, if we can, please, verse 17. And there was delivered unto him the book and the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind. And set at liberty them that are bruised. Would you read verse 19 with me as well? And to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it to them again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your eyes. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to the cinema of heaven. I'd like to see what this one was like. Can just imagine in that little synagogue of Nazareth, here's, a, here's someone who had been there many times. He was always, as his custom was, he went, to, he went to church when the church door was open and when he's asked to be there. By the way, that's a good idea for all of us, don't you think? He, it was his custom. If he was supposed to be there, he was there. And he is speaking. He had been asked to share some things, and that definitely platformed him. And now he is on this Saturday morning, been handed the Bible by the minister of, of that synagogue. He said, Jesus, would you read today? Gave him the book of Isaiah, and he turned to Isaiah 61. And he begins to read Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. He doesn't read the entire section. There's part of it, and many of them would know it by heart. It's a prophetic. It's what Jesus would do. When Jesus would come, here's what he would do when he would come. He would preach the gospel to the poor. He would bind up the brokenhearted. He would, uh, he would help those who are captivated by sin and addiction and let them be bound, uh, released from that. 
He would help those who are bruised and who are broken. Those who are blind, he would open their eyes. And he would preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And when Jesus finished that, he gave the Bible back to the minister and he sat down. And they couldn't stop looking at Jesus. And when it came time for him to say something, he said, this day is that prophecy fulfilled in your eyes. So you're all looking at me? Who is that guy? It's me. I'm the Messiah. And quickly, of course, that, uh, that, that would not be received. I mean, they were amazed at his gracious words. But there were many who said, hold the phone, Joan. That's in the Greek. No, I'm just, they said, hang on a second. You're Joseph's boy. Was he Joseph's boy? He was God's son, wasn't he? But they had been, they, he'd worked out of that shop. As far as they knew, he was his son. He said, how could this happen? This, you're, you're, I do business with you. And of course, Jesus, in that uh, setting, he knew every banker. He knew what people had done, good or bad. He, he knew what was in their mind and their hearts. He'd grown up in that city. Every rumor that had gone through Nazareth, he knew about that. He knew all their, their lives, and he knew a lot more than they thought he did. But he said, now... I'm him. I'm the Messiah. And uh, people said, are you sure? Because you're Joseph's boy. And they wondered, but they were also captivated by his words. That's the story. And we'll see that it doesn't get mad. As a matter of fact, before uh, that, that uh, Saturday afternoon is over, they're taking him out to a cliff to throw him over to kill him on the first day that he pronounces that he's the Messiah. So obviously right off the bat, the devil, the master of infantality, tries to kill Jesus on his first day of proclaiming that he's the Messiah. And they, they take him, and, and, and the, the miracle, they were waiting probably for a miracle. The miracle happened when he escaped from them. Because they had all, and they pushed him off there. They were going to throw him off and kill him because he had, uh, he had pronounced himself as the Messiah. And he, he, he escapes there, and he doesn't stay in Nazareth for obvious reasons. He tells them that a prophet is, not, is without honor in his own country. And he tells them about two Old Testament illustrations. He'll tell them that in the Old Testament, whenever there were lots of people who were widows that, that needed help, uh, when, uh, when Elijah uh, was by the brook Cherith, but God sent him to a widow over in Zarephath in a faraway place. There were a lot of other widows he could have done, but they didn't, they didn't accept him. But he sent him to another widow. And then he tells about uh, the other situation in the scripture about Naaman was a leper. He wasn't the only leper of that day. There were often many uh, men who were Jewish lepers. But they didn't get healed because they didn't believe that God would heal them. There were widows who could have taken care of Elijah, but he had to send him to Zarephath, which is, a, which is a part of Zidon, which was Jezebel's backyard to get a girl that would help him. And many, widow, many of lepers were in Jerusalem that, or in Israel that, that had leprosy and lived and died as a leper who didn't believe and didn't go to the prophet and ask for healing. But Naaman was a guy from Syria that came over. And he said, you know, that's just the kind of way it is. In your own town, sometimes there's people that don't believe you. It's kind of what happens. And of course, they took that and began to try to kill him. That's the story, but I want to take a few moments tonight as we think about reaching the world with the gospel. 
I want to continue this, this thought of what we can do individually and personally that Jesus taught here. I know this is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ, but what Jesus did, we should do. We're Christians. We are imitators, little Christ in this world. Jesus is not coming back to save the world. He's going he's to give you and I the opportunity to tell the world. He's not coming back to tell the world that he's the Savior. If it's going to get done, that means it's gonna, you're going to do it and I'm going to do it. And it's not just the pastor's job. I want to be a faithful soul winner. And I've tried to go through the gospel this week with several people. I've witnessed to people. I've given out tracts and I've ran out of tracts. Well, I was, today I just had some more. I had to go get some more because I've been running out of them. But it's not just my job. It's your job to do exactly what Jesus did. And he said there's several things that he did. Number one, he preached the gospel to the poor. Another place in the Bible says he preached the gospel to the meek. People that are ready to hear the gospel at that very moment. Do you know the truth of the matter is, there are people all over. Linda and I met this lady this week, Lisa. And uh, it was just the craziest thing. And we had gotten in late at night and we had gotten up that morning and uh, they told us to go to this little store. They had a little gift certificate for us. So we went to this little store, and, and there was a lady, and she helped us the best she could. And dude, we're just another, another customer. I was going to give her a gospel track. But as she was looking at the computer at the end, she just looked up and said, you're a pastor, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. It's my wife, and she helps me in the service of the Lord. She said, um, could you pray for me? I'm going to my, my sister's funeral on Friday. My husband had dementia, and he passed away in January. My mother died in March. This is my third person this year that's passed away. Would you pray with me? I said, I sure will. But let me ask you something that may be as pertinent as just praying for you through this time. Do you know for sure? You know, the, the Lord had that lady so ready to be saved. You know, I, it was easy to preach the gospel to her because she was ready. She was meek. You know what meekness is? Meekness is a willingness to, to adjust to another's pace or agenda, someone who is, ex, is willing to accept. You know, the truth of the matter is there are people in your sphere of influence who are ready too. I don't know who they are. You don't know who they are. And the way you'll find them is by being filled with the Holy Spirit of God and being sensitive to His Spirit. Amen. He'll bring you. If every one of us tomorrow morning if the men back here in this section and the ladies over here in this section and, and the teenagers and the senior adults whether you're going to Home Depot or you're going to the downtown Chicago on the train, if you would say to the Lord, God, please help me to share the gospel with somebody. Lead me to someone that you're looking for. I am confident there would be scores of people that would hear the gospel this week if we would just pray that. Maybe hundreds of people. And they would be meek. They're ready to listen if you're ready to open your mouth. They're just going to come to you. He said, you know what Jesus did? He came to preach the gospel to those who are ready to accept the Lord. How many can think you've been a soul winner and you can think of someone who was ready to hear the gospel the first time you talked to them? Anybody think of someone like that? Anybody who's been sowing very long knows that. It's amazing how many times someone has come. I remember one time going to Chicago. I was in, I was in the bus ministry here was traveling with a guy or was in the bus, bus, bus meeting. I remember standing in, the, in my dorm floor over at what was then called um, Prophets 2. 
turned into Malone too. But also that week, I spent a little time outside walking behind the gym, asking God to fill my life with His Spirit and lead me to people that need to be saved. I try to do that often, but this week I remember doing that, and I remember in my dorm floor asking God, please lead me to someone. I was walking with a guy from Maryland. He was on our bus route, and he was a good guy, a little bit, uh, a little bit goofy, but I'm goofy too. So we were two goofs walking around together, walking down 43rd Street, and just as clear as I could remember, it was like the Lord said, go in that house. And I said, I just thought to myself, and anyway, my friend Mark just kept walking. He didn't know that I darted into this house. And I got up to the steps and got into the house, and the door was open, and it was, a, it was a, you know, those, those flats. They had a basement flat, a front flat, and, a front, and, and, and an upstairs. And my friend Mark was just walking, just talking like this right here, and just talking away. And I got up there, and I opened the door, and it was unlocked. I said, hey, Mark, hey, where are you over here? I said, come on over here, let's go. So he came back over there. He came up there. We knocked on the first door. And no one answered the door. We would later be able to lead a lady named Maria and her whole family there. They actually got saved, got baptized here. Brother Peter Duke, I took him over on a, on a Sunday afternoon. He led her to Christ. She came here, got saved, baptized under the ministry of Brother Alpernet, moved to Oklahoma and attended church there for many, many years, a faithful lady. But she wasn't there that day or no one answered the door. So I went to the top of the door. I went to the top door and knocked on that door and marched with me. And a man, a redhead man, opened the door, and uh, his name was Bill, but I didn't know at the time. I said, I said, sir, my name is John. This is Mark. We're from First Baptist Church of Hammond. We're just going through this neighborhood telling folks about Jesus Christ. We have a bus that breaks people to church, and we're just, just checking to see. He goes, well, I'm so glad you came. Would you come in? I said, what? So would you come in? I said, okay. And we went in. He said, Fran, there was Fran, that was, his, that was his girlfriend, and Bill was there, and, and he had two little kids. He said, clear the bed off, clear the bed off. It was like a studio apartment, kind of like everything was all in one big room except for the restroom. And it was like a studio apartment, Everybody, everything was there, and there was a bed there. He said, honey, get, get him a place to sit down, sit him a place to sit down. So I was like, so I sat down there, Mark sat across the way from me, and I sat down on the bed, and, and he said, well, we're so glad you're here. I said, you are? <laughs> I couldn't understand what was going on. I mean, it was just way too easy to get in the door. You just don't get in everyone's door that quick. But I said, well, Mark, what I, I said to, uh, I said, Mark and I are here, Bill, to tell you about Jesus Christ. And, and we, have the, we have a little testament here. I'd like to share with you how you can know for sure. Do you know for sure if you died, you go to heaven? He says, no. How about you, Fran? She goes, no. I said, could I show you from the Bible how to be saved? And I went through the gospel that day on their bed. The little kids were around, but Mark was helping them. And Fran and Bill, Bill Clark and Fran, got saved that day. I couldn't believe it. It was so, it was so amazing. And I said, after he got saved, I said, okay, Bill, I need to understand kind of what's happening here. Because it's rare for me to just knock on the door, be invited in, and give everybody, give someone the gospel, and you got saved. Congratulations, I believe. I'm excited. He goes, oh, we're so happy you came. He said, last night. We're such a mess. He said, I'm living with her. We're not married. We got two kids. My life is ruined. I, I, I'm going from job to job because I got problems and addictions. He said, we just knelt down right here where you're sitting right now last night and said, God, you got to send somebody to help us. Somebody's got to help us. We're a mess. 
We don't know who you are or what church to go to. Would you send someone? Said, when you knock on the door, we just like, we knew it was you. Do you know, I wonder how many people would be behind a door if we would go. I wonder how many people God would bring who are already meek. They're already ready. I know there are some hard people to win. The rich and the religious are difficult. But there are a lot of people that are just ready if I would be ready and if you would be ready. In a church of this size with the quality of servants of Christ that we have, it's embarrassing that we don't see. And thank God for the people that got saved this morning. I met three people who got saved this morning in their seat, folks laid in the Christ. I'm so happy for that. But for the amount of people that we have in this ministry, teenagers that know how to lead someone to Christ, they've been trained, adults that know how, been through all kinds of training that we don't see more people saved. I wonder if, if it's because we're not filled with the Spirit of God. We're not seeking the lost. He said, I'm going to preach the gospel to the poor. I remember hearing that word poor, and of course it, it means poor and meek, ready. Brother Brother Rick Martin, who, who has been used of God in somewhat, some people believe, the most phenomenal ministry in the whole world. But I've heard him say on three occasions, if I was young again, I think I would take, I would, if God would let me, I think I would go to Africa. Because the people are poor and they'll listen to the gospel. I heard a guy say that, he said it three times. He said, Becky went to Zambia. I, I never got her, I almost never got her out all back on the plane. He said, people were just ready to hear the gospel. It reminded us of our early days in the Philippines when people were so ready to hear the gospel. Now the Filipinos will hear the gospel, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of materialism that's come in there. I think about that. But it, it reminded me the gospel was preached to the poor. You know, some people get saved because they just have already been prepared. I just need to be prepared. And you need to be ready. Some people are brokenhearted. If you've been soul winning very long, you know that some people get saved because God has taken them to a hard, difficult time. That story I just told you about Lisa. She was ready to get saved, but reason why is her heart was so heavy. She was so broken at that time. And that's why I want to encourage you, if you have a chance and you have a neighbor, wait for them to go through a broken time. Keep loving them. When they, don't, they shine you on, they don't want to do, just, just keep being sensitive. Say, God, when they have a need, help me to be there. Help me to help them when they're hurting. Uh, Mrs., uh, Brother and Mrs. Cowling are faithful soul winners, but some of their neighbors have come to Christ because they go through seasons of suffering and they've been such a good neighbor for years. They caught, captivated on times that are brokenhearted. When someone has a marriage difficulty, when someone has a death in their family, the brokenhearted often. I could probably tell you several stories of people, and I want to be careful with my time this evening. But there are many people that are hurting in your sphere of influence. If you'll be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, God will help you share the gospel in those times. That will be very helpful. He said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. Now, God does that. And the Lord does that for us through salvation, but he also does that for us. But you and I are supposed to do that. We, we've, got a, we've got a mindset that we've got to take. I need it. We even come to church that way. I hope it's a good one because I'm kind of tired. How long are we going to go? It's getting, we, we come to church because we want to get something. 
You know, one of the things that God tells them to come to church, we're supposed to exhort one another. You ought to come to church with a smile. You ought to come to church with a note. You ought to come to church with a good word. You ought to come to church to meet someone. Some of you come and you've plopped down the same stinking section, the same pew. You don't meet anybody new. It's a big church. I don't know everybody. Well, get to know somebody. Find out what life is outside yourself. Say, look, who, who is it I can help? Who can I be a blessing to? You see somebody that needs some attention. You see somebody that, uh, that comes into your section. Listen, what can you do to go greet them, to learn their names, to write their name down in your bulletin, to pray for it this week? When you see someone come out of the baptistry or come, uh, or come with a, there's a precious little lady, her sixth Sunday this week, she's been coming. She sits right in the section with her little girl. And she said, I just, I just think this is an amazing church. Oh, she's got some tattoos on her face, and she's learning how. She's, I remember seeing her come the first week and watching her come. She's looking around, and she's seeing how the ladies are dressed, and she's been dressing that way. The sad thing is she keeps sitting by herself. Maybe it's by her own decision, but some folks, somebody ought to love her enough to say, you know what, let's get her sit with us. If she's a single mom, would to God that somebody would say, you know, I'm going to put a note together and maybe put her $10 to get a snack for the baby on the way home. That, that wouldn't be all. There's some people that walk in this room that have the heaviest hearts. And boy, some of you will say, well, what about my heart? You've been saved for decades. You know what to do with a broken heart? They don't know what to do with a broken heart. They're coming in here and they're so happy they just got to come into a place. Remember telling you the story about this precious couple that got saved right down here. And they said, you know, I wanted to get saved in this place because I never felt such love in any place except my mother's house. He said, this is my seventh week to come. And it just feels like there's a lot of love in this place. Led a lady to Christ not too long ago. And she was from an atheist background. And she said to me, and to, I, I heard her say this today. But she said to me, she said, it's almost cruel to know that I've been raised. And I went through so many years of depression because I didn't know where to take my burden. I didn't know where to take my loneliness. I didn't know where to take my despair. It's in my family. It's in me, and I'm prone to that. But today she lifted her hand. She said, whatever happens to me, I know I have a heavenly father now who I can take anything to. You know that girl came in here? She looks like she's got it all together. She came here with a broken heart. Someone loved her. Someone helped her. What did Jesus do? He preached the gospel to those who are ready to receive it right now. He looked for people with a broken heart and wanted to do what he could to heal it. Blind. He said, I come to give sight to the blind. I'll conclude with this for our time's sake. I've told you the story of my friend, Brother Igbal Singh. We call him Bali. But I'll never forget that whole situation. I was witnessing one night on 3rd Street in, in Long Beach. Two people gave a tract to a mother and her two kids, her two daughters. They'd immigrated to the United States from South Africa. They didn't know anybody. The husband was working at an Indian restaurant. He was Hindu. And uh, the mom had gotten saved when she was 14 years old at a camp in South Africa. Thank God we have a missionary that has a camp in South Africa. People are getting saved. It's their summertime, and they're getting saved even as we speak, I'm sure. 
it's Monday there already probably, and they'll be, they'll be talking to kids about Christ and open up the camp again. She got saved when she was 14 out of a, a, a non-Christian home. They stepped off a bus, and someone gave them a gospel track. They, they accepted it. They walked away, and they, they went to their house. A few weeks later, without the husband, the Romy and her daughters uh, went down to went to First Baptist Church in Hammond or Long Beach, and they sat there. People began to to greet them and meet them. They filled out a guest card, and I went over to see them that night. I got a chance to meet Romy, to meet the two girls, and uh, to to meet Chris. Chris was Hindu, but he had a lot of problems with the Hindu religion. He had some things, and he had already been been contemplating. So I went to the gospel with him, and he said, "You know." I need to do this. And I couldn't believe it, but the first time I met him, before he ever came to the church, he accepted Jesus as his Savior. That night I said, Chris, is there anybody that you know that might like to, to hear this too? He says, there's only one guy that comes to my mind. He cooks for a restaurant called The Taste of India. Over on, uh, on you know where it is, don't you, Paul? All right, yeah. I can tell you've eaten there a few times, Paul. None, nonetheless, uh, he said, he cooks over there. He's a cook in the back. I don't know. He's my friend. Maybe talk to him. And I remember uh, asking them before I left. I said, now, how did you guys come to the church? And they, she said, oh, wait, I'll show you. She went over to the refrigerator, and she took a gospel track. It was all dog-eared. And she said, two angels handed this to me and my girls when we came off the bus. It sat here for several weeks, but we finally came. Well, I don't know who, who brought those two, those, the, but this, everything in this story comes because of two angels that handed a gospel track. And so I went over to the Taste of India. I walked in that Indian restaurant, and nothing in that, in that restaurant looked good to me. It didn't smell good. It didn't look good. But I looked up there, and I saw mango lassi. I like mangoes. I didn't know what lassi was, but I thought I'd like the mango part. Lassie is a shake. It's a yogurt, mango shake. I saw it up there, and so I said, I'll take one of those mango shakes. And the guy who helped me, his name is Cool Dip. And Cool Dip had a cool name, but he had a big old towel on his head, you know. And I said, I said uh, my name is John. What's your name? He said, why, you want to know? I said, no, I don't know. I'm just asking. He said, cool Dip. Oh, that's a cool name. I like your name, you know. I said, can I give you a gospel track? He said, no, I'm not interested. I said, is, is a guy named Bali work here? He said, yeah, he's a cook in the back. I said, can I go see him? He goes, don't take too long. I said, okay. So I went back there. I said, hey, Bali, do you know Chris Dorsomi? He says, oh, I know him. He's my friend. I said, okay. Uh, uh. He said, well, I'd like to, like to talk to you, invite you to church sometimes. He goes, I'm busy. I'm busy. But I gave him a track, and he took it. So about every, uh, every so often, I'd go by, and I'd see Bali. I, got the, I found out that the mango lassies, I really did like them. And so I'd get them. They were about 275 or so. And I'd buy one occasionally and try to talk to him, give him a track. For five years, I went by there and saw Bali. Finally got to the place where he said, why do you tell me every day? I told you I am Hindu. I don't want to go to your church. I want to go to your church. The reason I don't go to your church. And you say, wonder why you don't go to your church? Because I don't want to go to your church. You know, that's kind of how he was, you know. So you know why you don't see me? Because I don't want to be there. Okay, why do you keep telling me this? I said, I, I'm telling you because I want you to know about Jesus. Because I know, I know, everybody knows about Jesus. Everybody knows. Why do you keep telling me that? I, I said, okay, thank you. Can I have my mango lassie, please? <laughs> well, he ended up buying the restaurant from Cool Dip. And 
In one year, he made enough money to pay off the restaurant. It was almost $200,000. I think he paid for the restaurant. He paid it off in one year. And he became the owner. So it gave him a little more time to talk to him occasionally. But really, I'd give him the papers. And he's just like, you know, he, he was just kind of frustrated with me. But I bought, I bought, I bought his, um, his lassie, so he was, he was kind. One Saturday night, I heard from, um, from Chris. Chris called me. He said, Pastor, it was, in, it was Easter, night before Easter. He said, hey, I think Bali's come to church tomorrow. I said, really? He said, yeah, he just called me. He wants to know the address of the church and what time it starts. I said, you're kidding me. Because I've only been by there maybe four, or no, eight, nine times a year, maybe at that. I don't think even that much. And every time I go, I get a pretty cool reception. He goes, no, he says he's, he's going to be here tomorrow. I said, well, that would be fun. But it was Easter Sunday. A lot of people were there, and I preached the gospel. I saw him, met him in the foyer. He was so happy. He got all cleaned up, put a nice shirt on. He looks like Mr. Clean. He's bald-headed. He came in and sat beside Chris and Romy and the girls, and he was just, he was happy. I was happy. I preached that day, but after that, Bali began to call me every day. Every day, he called me for the next several weeks. He said, where are you now? Where are you now? I said, I'm over here. He goes, well, come to my restaurant. I make good food for you. Are you like spicy? I said, I've never even ate their food before, you know? I was like, nah, it's okay, man. I'm thinking, no, no. You like seafood? I make seafood spicy for you. You like it? I think, okay. I was like, oh, my goodness. The first week, my whole pores were smelling curry. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I was eating things I never thought I would eat, and it just, he's like, oh, these are good for you. Do you like beans, don't you? Yeah, I have beans. Beans for you, and spinach, and all, you know, and then he would make bread in the back. He had this cone in the back, and he would get it hot, and he'd put the, slap it on there and make it. It was unbelievable. I think they call it naan. It's fantastic. But every day he started calling me, come to my restaurant now, because he couldn't leave there. He got there at 9 in the morning. He left at 9 at night, so I had to see him and see him there. But anyway, I, I, everything changed. He started coming to church. He started sitting by them. I got him a Punjabi Bible and a Hindi Bible and an American Bible or an English Bible. And, and, uh, and he was happy. He was coming to church. He would even bring visitors sometimes. But I thought to myself, why? This guy has changed so much, you know. And, and uh, is he just adding Jesus to the gods? I tried to tell him. I said, it's about Jesus, you know. And he goes, oh, I know. I understand everything perfectly. I said, no, you don't understand everything perfectly. You need to listen to me. And he, reading the Bible. he started reading the Bible. And, uh, but he just was changing, but I, but I didn't think he understood the gospel clearly. And I remember one night, uh, uh, they had a, there was a missionary coming through, and he was Indian. He was, and I said, do you speak Hindi? He said, yes, I do. I said, well, Bali speaks Hindi and Punjab. I said, how about this? I'm going to take you to a restaurant, and I want you to teach the, the, the man about how to be saved. And uh, it was, it was uh, he, said, he said, well, tell me about him. I said, well, he came here last Easter. He's not quick coming. He comes every Sunday. He calls me almost every day. He wants me to come over there, and he wants to sit down. And uh, I try to tell him about the gospel, and he doesn't even give me a hearing hardly. He says, I understand, I understand. And I said, I want him to, I want you to understand, him to understand his mother tongue. So will you teach him? And he goes, ah, he's, the, the missionary said, oh, he's already saved. I said, I don't want to take that for granted. I asked Chris, I said, Chris, I mean, like, he this really has changed a lot. Yeah, he says, like, you're a new God to him, Pastor. He loves you. I said, that's why I don't want him to love me. I want him to love Jesus. I want him to know Christ, you know. And, and uh, so I remember that man said, I said, now, Bali, I'm going to have a guy come. And when's the best time? He told me, he said, after the rush at, at uh, 1 o'clock, there's no problem, between 2 and 3. I said, he's going to come at 2 o'clock. And he said, for one hour, I want you to listen to him. He's going to tell you from the Bible how to be saved in Hindi. Don't make bread, don't cook, 
He goes, okay, I'll do it. I do it. And I said, okay, well, let's do it. And then and I had him there. I said, don't take for granted he knows anything. Just start him from the beginning. Start him with Adam and Eve and just keep working with it. And I remember him going through the whole gospel with Bali. I was sitting outside of my car watching him across the street, saying, God, please save him. I was waiting for him to bow his head and pray, and, and nothing really happened. I just couldn't understand what was going on, but I was watching them, just really burdened for Bali. And uh, I went over and saw him when it was all done. And he said, you know, Pastor... Bali, I think he's already saved. And I said, well, how do you know that? He said, I went through the whole gospel, and I said, do you want to accept Jesus? He goes, I do that already. He said, when did you do it, Bali? He goes, the first day I go to John's church. He told me Jesus died, buried, rose again. No Hindu God do that. I believe it. (laughs) And so I said, well, you ready to get baptized? And he was. He got baptized, and it was so big for him to get baptized. I remember when he told me about it, he goes, I don't like the idols in the restaurant, but I'm nervous. My family tells me if I want to get rid of them, I have to take them to the Pacific Ocean and put them in the Pacific Ocean to appease the gods, or bad things are going to happen to me or to them. And I said, no, 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 Bali. They're just dumb idols. They were made by someone. God will take care of you. He's stronger. He can take care of you. He says, really? I said, yes, really. So just put them in a bag and throw them in the dumpster. And the next day I came and they were all gone. I said, what happened? I put them in the bag. I put them in the dumpster. I ran away real fast. <laughs> he said, nothing happened. Jesus is stronger. You know, I said, yeah. And you know, I just began to watch him grow. He got baptized. And, and then his wife, John Swat, got saved. And he told me one day, he goes, my wife. She now in Jesus, Pastor. And my son, Kamal, he now in Jesus. And Bupinder, he now in Jesus. And he told me this story. He said, you know, I, it was a Saturday night before, before Easter. And my daughter was in med school in Toronto. And I called her and I said to her, honey, I don't know why. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I thought once I have money and I paid for the restaurant, I would be happy. I'm not happy. I bought a house in Long Beach. I paid for it. I'm not happy. I have a car. I have your mom. I have your brothers. I have you. But I'm missing. Something's missing in my life. And she said, Daddy, you raised us to be Sikh Hindus. But I'm going to a Christian church in Toronto. And just like uncle that's over in Australia, he's been telling us about Jesus. Christians are happier than Hindus, Daddy. Go to a Christian church tomorrow. Do you know of a Christian church? He goes, yeah, this tall guy comes and aggravates me all the time. He said, go to his church. That's the one you need to go to. I don't know where it's at. I throw away all his papers. <laughs> well, find out and go to it. And he said, when I came, I heard about Jesus, and I accepted Jesus. I said, he said, I don't know why. I'm so blind. Five years, you told me, over and over again. You invite me. I throw your papers. I don't know why. It's like I'm blind. Blind man. I couldn't see light. And you know the truth of the matter is, there are many people just like Bali. They're blind. The God of this world has blinded the minds of them who obey not the gospel. But if you'll hang around long enough and you'll pray fervently and you'll seek to do it, you're going to see that the same thing that Jesus came to do to preach the gospel to the people who are ready to receive it, to help the brokenhearted and to relieve the blind, you'll be amazed. These are not stories that are unique to me. They can be your stories.
Bali now lives in Punjab, India. He has a Bible study in the morning at night in his large house there that he sent all the money over to build it. Sometimes I'll get with him and he's on a, he's like he had a Christmas party and he shows his phone and I do a FaceTime on WhatsApp and he goes to me, he goes, oh, this is my architect. He and Jesus. This guy, he's not saved yet. He's not in Jesus, you know, and the people don't even know what he's saying. He's speaking all in English, you know, and they're going, ah, they're all waving at me. He's saying, he's not in Jesus. And I see him, he and Jesus, you know, and he tells me who's in Jesus and who's not in Jesus. But I see the Lord in just, uh, just working there, and there are people that would love to be helped, but they're blind. And you need to wait for God to do his work, but stay faithful in their, in their work. We can be like Jesus, preaching the gospels of the poor, healing the brokenhearted, setting the captive free, 